0: Alright, welcome. This is part nine in our series through the book, The Song of Solomon. We've been studying this verse by verse, and this morning you can see we're talking about the art of intimacy, part one. In part one, we're going to talk about five keys to great sex. And then in part two, we're going to talk about five more keys to great sex. Some of you are saying, I'm starting to really like church more and more. (laughs) Callie. Callie. Callie, who was just nine years of age, she was asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? She said, well, never kiss in front of other people. It's a big, embarrassing thing if anybody sees you. But if nobody sees you, I might be willing to try it with a handsome boy, but just for a few hours. (laughs) Jean, age 10, she was also asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? She said, it's never okay to kiss a boy. They always, always slobber all over you. That's why I stopped doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Pam, age seven, was also asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? She said, when they're rich. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's set the scene. You got Solomon, you got the Shulamite, who's the woman. And there's eight amazing scenes through this book that all track their romance. Solomon is uh, writing the book after they're married. He's looking back on their relationship. And in scene number one, that was all about their attraction. Scene number two is all about their dating life. Scene number three was all about their courtship. Scene number four was all about their wedding, their ceremony. And then scene number five is all about their intimacy. So we, when we come to chapter four, verse one, in the book, they're at the Ritz-Carlton. They're at the honeymoon suite. The door is locked. The drapes are shut. The temperature is rising. If you are married, I want you just for a moment to think back to your honeymoon. I want you to think about that first night together, and I just want to ask you this question. How was your wedding night? Was it uh, all that you imagined, not what you imagined, more than what you imagined? However you would characterize your first night, I don't think any of us would be willing to come up here and give us a blow-by-blow description of what happened. I mean, I kind of gave you a little bit of information of what happened on our honeymoon the first night, but for the most part, I stopped at the elevator ride up to our room, much to your delight, right? (laughs) But where we would all stop, watch this, God continues. God brings us right into the honeymoon suite, right into the bridal chamber. And we need to understand a little bit about this bridal chamber. When you would get married back then, this is the Middle East. Uh, the guy would surprise his fiance by showing up at her house, and it just, it's a surprise. He would determine the time. And he would say, this is our wedding. And then they would typically go back to the house for what they would call, his house, for what was called the wedding feast. And this would be a week-long party. And in that wedding feast and partying, and they would have literally a formal ceremony, much like what we have today. Then the married couple, with all the guests watching, would literally go into the bridal chamber, and all the guests know what's going on in there, and they continue to party. They're having a great time outside. In the bridal chamber, they would consummate their marriage sexually, and then they would come out, and everyone would go, hip, hip, hooray, you the man, that kind of thing. And millions of people are are still married this way today. In the United States, we tie a bunch of cans to their car, and they drive off into the sunset, you know? But this was not the case with Solomon and the Shulamite. When we come to chapter 4, verse 1, they're inside the bridal chamber. All the guests are outside the bridal chamber, all the guests, that is, except for us. Because God brings us right inside the bridal chamber with them. Now, why? Because God wants us to understand. He wants us to see sex and marriage as the way he intended it to be from his point of view. God wants us to see the beauty and the holiness and the specialness of sex and marriage. And most importantly, watch this, God wants to help us improve our sex lives in our own marriages. This is why all of Scripture is given to us, to build us up, to give us insight. You look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, even the one we're going to talk about today, is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, even in the area of our sexuality, so that the man of God or the woman of God could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, statistics reveal that the average married couple has, uh, on average, six sexual encounters per month, running an average of 15 minutes each. That's the average married couple. Just 40% of married couples describe their sex life as physically and emotionally satisfying. Just Four and ten say they have a great sex life, in other words. And what do I say about that? I say I don't think they've ever studied the Song of Solomon. I don't think they understand the principles that are here or have implemented them into their lives. Uh, if you are married, it's my prayer, it's my belief, my absolutely firm conviction that if you understand and you follow these ten principles we're going to study, your sex life will impl- improve at least 25%. I I totally believe that completely. Gary Chapman in his book, Toward a Growing Marriage, he writes this quote, he says, sexual oneness, by which I mean the mutual satisfaction of partners, both enjoying their sexuality and a wholesome sense of sexual fulfillment, does not come automatically. It requires commitment and effort. Someone will say, you mean we have to work at sex? I thought it came naturally. I would reply, it is that very misconception that will be your greatest barrier to sexual oneness, end quote. Yes, you have to work at sex to get better at it. Solomon and the Shulamite, they show us the way to have great sex. And God gives them to us as an example to follow. Now, the couple we're going to study... they make love in the 17 verses we're going to look at over these next two sessions. So let me just give you a little preview of, of what we're going to be covering. Uh, he's not even going to touch her until verse 11 where he kisses her. He's going to talk to her. He's going to undress her. She's going to invite him in and then they will consummate their marriage. And then God's going to speak up and he's going to say, yeah! It's kind of a loose translation. But uh, It's a beautiful thing what happens here. But what I see emerge from this passage are these 10 keys to great sex in marriage. I don't know if you've ever lost your keys. How many of you ever lost your keys? I mean, that's super frustrating. And watch this. Maybe you need to rediscover these 10 keys for great lovemaking in marriage because it's super frustrating when you don't have them. It's amazing. God's Word, it sets us free it is beautiful. Now, I want you to know that I'm going to be directing my comments to married couples. But if you're single, this is going to be super helpful for you as well. And then one day you could talk about this with the person you're going to engage with and then one day be married. Everyone's going to benefit, but we're going to jump right into it. First key to great sex and marriage. Great sex starts with romance. Now, what is romance? Okay, guys, Watch Solomon and stand in awe. (laughs) When God called Solomon the wisest man who ever lived, he wasn't always. But in this situation with his wife in that marital chamber, it's beautiful. We see something very special. He knew how to reach into the innermost depths of this woman that he married. He knew how to romance her. So they're finally alone. And Solomon breaks the silence with these powerful, affirming words. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. If there's one thing that a woman needs to hear from her husband all the time, but especially on her wedding night, is that she's beautiful. Everyone may have told her at the wedding ceremony, Oh, you're the most beautiful bride ever. But she needs to hear that from her husband big time, especially on their wedding night. She can't hear it enough. And Solomon tells her twice in verse 1 that she is beautiful. And then he's going to systematically affirm the beauty of virtually every part of her body, starting from the top of her head, and work his way down. Now, she still has on her wedding cap uh, and, 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 and this veil. And he peers through that veil, and he notices her eyes. And he says in chapter 4, verse 1, your eyes behind your veil are doves. He's looking at her eyes through the veil... Your eyes are so gentle, so sweet, so lovely. He's affirming her eyes. He then begins to gently undress her, starting with her wedding cap and veil. And you can picture Solomon tenderly removing her cap and veil, which would have loosened her hair, which would then have caused her hair to cascade down upon her shoulders. And this explains why Solomon would say, chapter 4, verse 1, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead now again it's poetic and for us we don't get that but let me explain a little bit many Jewish women you know have curly hair and this is the image depicted here the locks of her hair were a little wild disheveled tumbling down over her shoulders just like the flocks of goats skipping down the mountains of Gilead that is a very common sight. the mountains on the east side of the Jordan they were considered a blessing They were occupied by thousands of flocks. Tracy and I, we've driven through the Jordan Valley many times. And we look up on, literally today even, on the the mountains of Gilead, and you see these flocks, and it's a beautiful word picture. And the Shulamite, no doubt, was flattered. She enjoyed Solomon's compliment about about her hair. And she responded to Solomon with a wonderful, open-mouthed smile of pleasure. You say, how do we know that? Because Solomon points out the beauty of her teeth in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn coming up from washing, meaning they were clean. Women, ladies, brush your teeth, you know what I'm saying? And then he says in chapter 4, verse, each has its twin, not one of them is alone, meaning they are straight, none are missing. She wasn't looking like some hockey player, you know, that just came out of the locker room. He's looking at every part of her body, and he's saying, you are fantastic. You're beautiful. And he continues. He says in 4 verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Either she was naturally rosy, or as he's talking about her, she begins to blush. And he's pointing that out in a beautiful way. Solomon is moving like an artist, From the beauty of her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her mouth, her cheeks, he's moving down her body. And next he talks about her neck, chapter 4, verse 4. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. He's complimenting the elegance of her strength. There was no shame. She was not with her head bowed. Her eyes were looking straight at Solomon. She had this inner character of strength that matched his own And Solomon absolutely loved that. And notice, Solomon, he hasn't even touched her. He's made her feel incredibly special, at ease. He's affirming her. He's being romantic. He is purposefully and intentionally building within her heart, watch this, a desire for him. Romance builds desire. Longing. The first key to great sex is romance. Now, let me give you a little background on the term Romance, because it's very fascinating. Back in the, in, in the Roman Empire, Latin was the lingua franca. It was the common language of the Western world. All formal documents were written in Latin, uh, a wedding certificate or deeds of trust. When the common people spoke, however, there in that era of love and poetry and heroism, they, they did not use classic Latin. They used what became the vulgar tongue or the romantic tongue. The romantic tongue was used for telling love stories, tales of chivalry or bravery or even dirty stories, suggestive stories, sexual stories, innuendo. Classic Latin was used for formal matters, but romantic Latin was used for matters of passion, sexual intrigue. And when you get married today, you're gonna have a formal Latin ceremony. But if you want to have great sex in your marriage, you're going to have to learn to speak like Solomon, utilizing the romantic tongue, a tongue that is suggestive, passionate, descriptive, and even vulgar at times. A woman, she longs for the lingua franca of passion and romance. And Solomon knew that. And he, again, we look at this, this is thousands of years ago, but let me tell you, it connected with her big time. He is speaking romantic talk to her and is driving her nuts. He spoke to his bride in terms she understood, and she wanted to respond with sexual affection. Great sex begins with romance. Let me give you a, a little thought here that gets into the differences in terms of how a man and a woman is made up, in terms of their sex drive. Men use romance to get sex women use sex to get romance and we do so because we're so different God has given us different sex drives watch this a man a woman needs to understand that if you want to have great sex Gary Smalley has written he said this men are microwaves women are crockpots." that is such a great description I, I totally agree. A man is a microwave. I mean, he can have sex now. It doesn't matter where, back seat of a car, on the roof. I mean, you can have bad communication. You can have an argument. Let's have sex, you know, kind of thing. That's the way a man is put together. A woman, she's a crock pot. She heats up slowly during the day. That means... You need to start loving your wife, being romantic with her throughout the whole day, early on. So when you don't take out the trash, when you make her fill up the gas tank, when you fail to open the car door, when you're not using language that's upbuilding, don't come home from work bounding through the door like Don Juan thinking she's ready. Because she's not, because you haven't romanced her. Romance is what's needed for great sex. She needs time and tenderness and romance to be ready for sexual intercourse. That is the way that God wired her. To be a man, to have great sex with a woman, don't think you need to have a perfect body or even be handsome. What you do need is to be tender and kind and gentle. I'm hearing all these women over here, uh-huh. You need to be appreciative and affirming and thoughtful. That is romantic. There are tons of great-looking guys who have lost their wives, watch this, to bald-headed, pot-bellied man who didn't have the looks but knew how to romance her. And they swept her off her feet. A woman is wired for romance. That's why, you know, they devour romance novels by the millions. That's why there is a thing called chick flicks out there. And men need to understand this. If you want to have great sex with your wife, you've got to understand this. Guys, we are microwaves. (laughs) But women have a difficult time appreciating sex if it's completely void of kindness, appreciation, gentleness, and romance. She'll feel used. She'll absolutely feel used. She may have sex with you, but watch this it won't be responsive. And unresponsive sex is not great sex. Ladies, if your husband is an angry guy, abusive, short-tempered, immoral, unkind, your mind will go south and your body will follow. You will not feel like giving yourself to such a man because you have not been shown romance. That's the way God has made a woman. And men need to understand that. Solomon understood this, so a a little statement here I'm just going to give you. Guys, keep your flowers fresh. say, what do you mean by that? Well, too many men in the courting process are good with romance. They send her flowers and candy, and they see all these notes and compliment her. But as soon as they get married, these same men, they tend to bag her and mount her like an elk, put her up on the wall, you know, instead of being tender and gentle and affirming and thoughtful and romantic. Let me give you a statement. Romance is thoughtful spontaneity. On a whim, you go out and give her a little plant. Give her a little cactus. That, that, like, that, that kind of stuff just stokes the crock pot. Something that says you were thinking about her, that's romance. Notes, flowers, emails. It'll drive her crazy. It'll literally drive her crazy. I don't know if you've ever saw the, the TV show The King... Uh, the King of Queens? Yeah. as one of Tracy and I. We, there's this one scene where he's trying to learn to be romantic. And, and he learns this phrase, I'm thinking about you. And he, you know, email. And I began, So I text Tracy all the time. I'm thinking about you. It's romance. I'm like, I don't get it. But it, she gets it. That's the point. <laughs> it makes her day when I give her these texts. And guess what? It makes my night. I mean, I'm learning about this stuff because it's completely antithetical to the way I'm wired. But one, a while ago, we were taking a walk through the neighborhood, and we come back down to our house, which is on a hillside, and Tracy looks at the side of our house, and she says this, quote, I love the ivy on our house. It's so romantic the way it climbs up the side of our house. I'm like, that's romantic? I haven't cut that ivy in years. I mean, it's just like... Growing everywhere, man. It's like anything that communicates romance to my wife, I'm in. I need all the help I can get as a guy. I'm still learning. I want to be as romantic as I can because I want to have great sex. And that is the first key. Dr. Dobson said this. Just listen to this, guys. A woman's greatest sex organ is her mind. It's her mind. As men, we've got to feed that mind, and she will go crazy. You've got to be able to talk to her. Romance are like Solomon. Great sex begins with romance. Okay, we got way more to cover, but I want you to kind of talk at your tables for a moment. So this is what I'd like you to do. Ladies, brag about a time when your husband displayed amazing romance. It's like he got it. And then guys, how can you improve in the area of romance? Exchange some hot ideas. Talk about that at your table. Go. Okay, we're looking at five keys to great sex. Number one, great sex begins with romance. Number two, great sex includes gentleness, gentleness. Now, when we come to verse five, Solomon is engaged in this slow romantic foreplay. With a woman he loves, he's talked to her, affirmed her, he's removed her veil, they're both enjoying themselves. He then proceeds to tenderly remove her dress. And he looks at her breasts and he says, chapter four, verse five, your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. <laughs> Again, I can't imagine ever saying that, but he did. But this is perfect. It's like genius. It's it's an incredible statement and with so much insight. So, question: How do you approach your wife sexually as a man? How do you approach two fawns browsing among the lilies? <laughs> You don't say, hey, fawns, gotcha. You know, uh, you kind of approach quietly. The point here is that sex is gentle. Guys, write that down. Sex is gentle. Solomon, he's, appro- he's approaching his wife's breast like two fawns that browse among the lilies. Let me give you four tips about sex being gentle. Number one. First, move slowly. When you have sex with your wife, especially on your first nights, your honeymoon, move slowly. Don't scare the fawns away. Um, I mean, I heard about <laughs> this macho guy who marries this sweet gal. She had never been kissed before her husband, and he comes out of the bathroom like Conan the Barbarian, Okay? And unleashes on her all of his passion and fantasies, and it scared her for years. I mean, they literally had two years of counseling to recover from the trauma. (laughs) Move slowly. Second, discuss parameters. Now, there are parameters that you and your spouse will share when you make love. A man's parameters are generally more erotic than hers. How far can a man go? As far as where your wife is not demeaned in the process. If she has a problem with something, you stop. In premarital counseling, I encourage couples to talk about parameters. And it can be very uncomfortable at first and kind of awkward. The guy says, well, what about this? And she's like, I never even thought about that, you know. Couples that have great sex, they talk about parameters. It's a healthy thing to do. You need to do it. Third, be flexible. A woman is constantly in flux. She's constantly changing. She's the unpredictable partner when it comes to sex. She's the X factor. A man is the constant in sex. He is the stabilizing, driving force, ready to go for it. doesn't take a whole lot to please the guy. But the woman, she's going to differ day to day. That's how God has designed her. I mean, she has cycles. She is complex. A lot of guys early on in marriage especially think they can figure her out. Oh, Yeah. And they think, well, they have discovered the right combination of moves, okay? And the young husband concludes, based on the night before when they had great sex, well, hey, a kiss here, a touch there, a rub here, and bingo, great sex. So what does the guy do? He memorizes that combination that worked one night, and he tries it the next night. A kiss here, a touch there, a rub here, and what happens? She goes, what are you doing, you sicko? And, you know... (laughs) She's going to surprise you. (laughs) You've got to be gentle every night. Sexual intimacy is not a repeatable formula. This is all about gentleness. There are going to be nights that you know your wife is doing her duty to love you. And then there's going to be other nights you will swear she had Viagra for dinner. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's unpredictable. One more thing about gentleness for establish signals. How do you know if your spouse wants to have sex? Well, you know, I mean, do you text her, you know, sex at 11 p.m.? Uh, do you put up a flag when he or she walks in? Do you come home for work and say, really exciting day today? I mean, what do you do? Healthy marriages have signals that communicate the desire for sex. Uh, some couples, it's a certain cologne or perfume, a certain bathrobe that he wears or a certain negligee that she wears, a lit candle. The best thing I ever heard was one guy said, you know what I do? I brush my teeth. <laughs> uh, so great sex involves gentleness. Uh, some, these are the, some of the things that you work through if you want to have great sex. It involves gentleness. Solomon approached his wife like you would approach two fawns of a gazelle. Gentleness, tenderness, great sensitivity, great patience. There'll be times your wife will say, honey, I just just don't feel like it. And you will say, that's quite okay. I understand. And then you'll turn away and you'll chew on your (laughs) bedpost. Great sex starts with romance. It includes gentleness. Third key to great sex, great sex includes enjoyment. And that's right. God created sex, not just for childbearing, but for total enjoyment. And listen to what Solomon says, chapter 4, verse 6. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, this is their wedding night, I will go to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of incense. Wow. The mountain of Myrrh is a reference to her breast. The hill of incense, are a reference to her genitalia area. Solomon is saying, I'm going there all night long until morning comes around. I mean, crazy, you talk about passion. All night long, move over Lionel Richie. (laughs) Solomon was the one who originated that phrase. Now, what does that look like, all night long? Well, guess what? Let your imagination run wild, because it's meant to run wild. This is God's plan for marriage. This is also why young Jewish boys were not permitted to read this book. It's too suggestive said their mothers. But not so to God. It's the word of God and God wants us to understand that sex and marriage is to be totally enjoyable is what God and the Bible completely affirm. Interesting in England years ago, young girls on their honeymoon were told to lie there and think of the queen, meaning you endure sex to have babies to fight for the empire. I mean I can't think of a statement that's further from what God's word reveals. Great sex includes enjoyment, enjoying one another's bodies. All night long, this stag is going to that mountain of myrrh, the hill of incense. That is what God has ordained. And so many other scriptures speak about this. In Proverbs 5, 18 to 20, May your fountain be blessed, and may your, you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. They're speaking about sex. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. And this is the command of God's Word. Do not deprive each other. Speaking about sexually. Except by mutual consent, that is when you agree upon it, and for a time. What's that time then to be used for? So you can devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again soon that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The married couples don't have sex. It, it leads to all sorts of the enemy coming in and, and creating all sorts of issues. God's plan is that you enjoy each other's body. You don't deprive your spouse of sex. You, you willingly give up your body for the enjoyment of the other. That is a a key to great sex is selflessness. You put them first, their pleasure, their enjoyment above your own. Great sex starts with romance. It involves gentleness. It includes enjoyment. Fourth key to great sex, it requires exaltation. Now, to exalt someone is to place them in like the highest possible esteem as you can. And listen to what Solomon says to her in verse 7. I mean, this is the dream of every bride. This is the dream of every wife. Look at 4-7. All beautiful you are, my darling, there is no flaw in you. Wow. Guys, let me tell you, the worst thing that you can do on your wedding night, or any night, your wife disrobes and you say something disparaging, she will never forget it. Even if you say you're joking, it was just, you know, you're kidding, you will hurt her so deeply. Because all women are self-conscious about their bodies. There's always something that they would like to change. She may be too heavy or too tall or too small or too this or that. Women are incredibly self-conscious, especially in our culture. Guys, you let her know from the top of her head to the sole of her foot that she is the most lovely, the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet to you. To you. She knows she's probably not a supermodel, but to you, her husband, She must know that she's the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet. You want to have great sex? She needs to know that. That's exaltation. And this is what Solomon is saying, literally in that verse. And we we see like in Ephesians 4.29, in terms of our words, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building her or him up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Little boy, Ricky, he's age eight, and he was asked, how do you make a marriage work? And he said this, he says, tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) I mean, ladies, do you think you'd be willing to give yourself to a man who has demonstrated to you that he is completely taken up with your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your neck, your breasts? Then he says, in summary, you are absolutely perfect. Wow. As husbands, we're to love our wives, placing them in the highest esteem possible. That's what love is. That's what love is. That's the kind of love that'll drive a woman crazy for you. Ephesians five, twenty-five to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her, with the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I mean, that's how Jesus sees and talks about us. Without any blemish is how Jesus sees and talks about us. We should see and talk about our wives the same way and wives to husbands. It's both ways. But here in Song of Solomon, we're seeing Solomon take the lead. This is how we're to see and talk. Great sex requires exaltation. So let me just ask you a question. Does she know that in your eyes, as her husband, she is the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet? Does she know that? Great sex starts with romance. It involves gentleness, includes enjoyment, requires exaltation. I'd like you to take a moment and talk about this at your tables. Wives, share a memorable moment when your husband esteemed you in a very special, incredible, special way. How did that make you feel? Husbands, can you, how can you better your verbal exaltation of your wife, wife? Swap ideas on things to say that will build her up, okay? Just got two minutes on this, we gotta keep going. Go for it. Okay, let me give you the fifth key. Fifth key is this to great sex. Great sex yields oneness, oneness. Now, Solomon says this, you know, they're in the bridal chamber and he says, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon, descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. And again, that doesn't make sense to us, but he's calling her away. He's calling her to be with him so that the two of them can become one flesh in the act of sexual intercourse. Sex is God's mean, watch this, of becoming one flesh in marriage. Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. This is speaking about marriage and they will become one flesh. From God's perspective, a couple does not become one until they have sex. Sex yields oneness. So I've done hundreds of weddings, and when I do a wedding and I declare the couple to be one, it's not totally accurate in that statement. They become one legally in the eyes of the state when I declare that, but they really do not become one in the eyes of God until they have sexual intercourse. That's why sex is so powerful. It's reserved for marriage. Great sex includes the awareness of the oneness of flesh that results, comes into being through the act of sexual intercourse. In sex, you take your DNA, and you mix it with her DNA, and you create a new being in the image of God that looks like both of you. That's the ultimate expression of oneness. It's profound, and it's mysterious, and it's holy, and it's deeply, deeply spiritual, Sex is a deeply spiritual act that this world just doesn't get but is so damaged by it, I have to say. But it's this profound, mysterious, holy, spiritual oneness that is renewed every time you as a married couple have sex with your spouse. It's profound. Great sex involves an understanding of how profound this is. Paul went as far as to say in 2 Corinthians 6.16, Do you not know that he unites himself with even a prostitute is one with her in body? Wow. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.5, Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent, and for a time so you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again. Solomon calls her away. Great sex is not only an intimate act. It produces oneness. Great sex, it's not cheap, it's profound, it's spiritual, it's intimate, it unites you as one. Wow. It makes marriage beautiful. After Adam and Eve had sex, in Genesis 2.25, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No shame. That means there was total intimacy between him and her, closeness, transparency, acceptance. Sex and marriage unites you as one. Intimacy, into me you see. And it's just like oneness. Sex outside of marriage yields guilt, shame, despair, regrets, and all sorts of issues. Great sex in marriage yields the blessing of oneness and more and more oneness. So here we have looked at five keys to great sex in marriage. And in the next section, we're going to look at five more great keys But one fact about keys again, you can only use one key at a time. You could have 20 keys on your keychain, but you can only use one at a time. And what I want to share with you is to not be overwhelmed by all that we've talked about this morning. So let me give you some application here, three points of application. Number one, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage or perfect sex in marriage. Please understand that. Two, be thankful for the sex life that you currently have in your marriage. Be grateful, thankful for what you have. And here, the goal is not perfection. The goal is progress. Let me tell you, you can continue to make progress, and you should, in all areas related to your marriage, and especially in this area as well. Now, here's a question that I want to ask you about. As you just have taken in God's Word, or you're watching this on video... What key to great sex is God directing you to apply to improve your sex life in your marriage? You can only use one key at a time. Take one key and begin working on it, say, this week. Great sex starts with romance. Is that where you've been kind of dropping the ball or you need to raise the bar there? As a man or a woman? Great sex involves gentleness. It includes enjoyment, requires exaltation, yields oneness. Then I want to give you three points for later discussion. If you are a married couple, you need to discuss this with your spouse today. I'm asking you to do it today as your pastor, if you're watching on video. So let me give you a couple thoughts. Your husband or wife will never know, and I'm quoting Gary Chapman in this point, uh, in his book, Toward a Growing Marriage. He says, your husband or wife will never know what pleases you if you do not communicate. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but if you're going to grow, you've got to break through those barriers, and you've got to communicate. He says, I have never heard of a couple who gained sexual oneness without open communication about sexual matters. So if you're not open with your husband or wife, that's a problem that needs to be addressed. You need to be able to talk about this as you talk about your finances, your kids, or whatever. This needs to be on the docket as well. Uh, Here's another thought. Married couples, take some time to talk and answer some honest questions with one another. These four questions I'm going to give you will change your sex life. It's going to change your life. It'll deepen and beautify your marriage. These are the questions you need to ask. What do we love about our sex life? There may just be very little that's there, but mention what you do love about it. Talk about that honestly. Second, How can I serve to love you better when it comes to intimacy? Truly ask your husband or wife that question. How can I serve you better? Thirdly, is there anything I do currently that bothers you or you wish I would do differently? Ask them that and be ready for an honest answer. Encourage them to be open about that. This is how you're going to grow. And lastly... What key to great sex would you like me to work on? What would you like me to work on? Um, Those are profound questions for married couples to ask that I guarantee will open up pathways and doors and just grow you in this area in your life. Now, let me talk to singles for a second. Be committed to understanding the 10 keys to great sex and to talking with your future spouse about your hopes, your passions, and your dreams as they relate to this most sacred and enjoyable act. So whether you're married, whether you're single, you can all benefit from this. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that, again, marriage is your idea. You invented this whole thing, and no one knows how it better works than you. And we thank you for the gift of sex and marriage. How amazing. What a God. And thank thank you, Lord, that you also open with us you know, this whole passage here with Solomon and the Shulamite, and you give us these keys to help us experience a great sex life in our marriages. And Lord, certainly, you know, we have a long way to go in, in moving in that direction, but help us to realize there's no perfect marriage, no perfect sex in marriage, but this is an area where we can improve. And I pray that you will use what we've talked about today in these first five keys and in our discussion that we're going to have later with our spouse to grow us in this very special and spiritual area of our lives and our marriages. I pray that you give insight to those couples that are engaged and preparing for marriage. I pray that this would also give them good uh, points to talk on as they prepare for this beautiful day. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.